The Italians are about to go on a Spanish fiesta. The Danes have made it another round into the finals and could possibly repeat their 92 European Championship win. And Kane is finally able. Welcome to episode 23 of Who Scored Again. I'm your host, Tabin. I'm joined by all three of my co-hosts this time in Tushar, Said and Akshay. It's been an entertaining week at the Euros, a weekend, I should say, because the quarterfinals are finally over. We have our semi-finalists who are going to take on each other during the next couple of days. So what we'll do on this week's episode is we'll take a look at those quarterfinal games. We'll also make our predictions for the semi-finals as well as keep an eye towards the final. I don't think we'll go into much detail about the final. That deserves an episode by itself. In other news, we will talk about Jaden Sancho's long-awaited transfer to Manchester United. We will talk about Rafa Benitez going to Everton and what that means for the city of Liverpool. We will also talk about Nuno going to Spurs and what that could possibly mean for the future of Harry Kane or the resurgence of one Matt Doherty. This and much more on this week's episode. It promises to be a fun one. Let's start the show. I trust that everyone had a great weekend because I had, I was out for the weekend. Akshay was also out for the weekend. Akshay turned 30. Yeah, and he had, it was, oh it was such a week. not again. Not that topic. <laughs> I, I was out for the weekend. <laughs> so yeah, there was, uh, apart from us all having really nice weekends, there were also some very interesting games on show uh, in the Euro quarterfinals. Italy took on Belgium. That was an entertaining game by itself. And England took on Ukraine. As well, and the Danes ended up taking on the Czech Republic as well. And Spain played Switzerland in what? In and Spain played Switzerland in my opinion, which is probably the best game of the quarterfinals. I think that game had pretty much everything you need, including a penalty shooter. So I think if we were to start off with a particular game, let's start with Spain versus Switzerland. The first game of the quarterfinals ended up going to extra time and penalties, but far more anticlimactic. Then the last Swiss game that went to penalties just about four days prior. I thought it was a rubbish game, to be honest. The game was rubbish, I thought. And the penalties <laughs> were like shockingly bad. That was the best part. At one, the... <laughs> I, at, at one point, I was like, uh, is he going to bring on De Gea for this? <laughs> <laughs> I think we should be uh, yeah, about, uh, talking about uh, De Gea and penalties. It comes up every single time. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, sometimes, like, you know, like, things repeat I don't know. Themselves. Yeah, I know, it just happens, you can't help it. That is very true. But yeah, I mean, I don't even think the keeper, any keeper had to make some sort of exceptional save to keep their team in it, because either the, either the pens, especially Sergio Busquets' opening pen, holy God, was that a bad penalty. How bad was that? Oh, he, how bad? That was, that was quite horrible. Yeah. No, but the, like when you're talking about the game itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the 77 minute, um, Switzerland get a red card. Yeah, and Spain clearly have an advantage. They've gone and taken a hundred shots at the goal and not scored. And then again, they do the same thing in extra time, and they have a huge, huge like 
Ben strength, right? Switzerland, mm-hmm. I'm nobody. Uh, Switzerland are just masters of somehow hanging on till penalties and winning it or something. But this time, they couldn't pull it off. But yeah. I, I still feel like Spain played the better game and they deserve to win that game. Would have been sad if Switzerland had won that. It's a... I mean, it would have... I think the Swiss would have finally gone out to Italy if they had gone through against Spain. Because you you can't tell which way pens are going to go, right? Pens are always a lottery. I think Spain going to the semifinals provides the Italians a test, a real test, because they... I mean, the, the Italians against Belgium had more possession of the ball than, than Belgium did. And Belgium are naturally a possession-based team because of Roberto Martinez's style. Basically, like Spain have been playing amazing uh, possession football hmm. without actually doing tiki-taka, which is very weird. Like, it's some hybrid tiki-taka, not exactly tiki-taka, but it's there. And their whole game depends on Busquets distributing. And hmm. I think on the Italian side, it's Giorgino. Giorgino has hmm. been immense for Italy. Like, he basically starts the distribution. Hmm. And... Um, the the game is going to be Busquets versus Jorge, you know, like who plays a better pass to put people in. To I feel yeah, Italy versus Spain. I feel uh, that Pedri kid also is having a blinder of a tournament. It's almost like they've given the ball and say, "Hey, do something, please. Like, move the ball, move us up the pitch. Like raise the tempo of our game." I have a sneaky feeling that Spain are about to like beat the Italians and I'll, and I'll speak to uh, and I'll give my reasons as to why that may be a thing when we come uh, when we come to discussing the semifinals but it's just that they have a lot of tools in their arsenal I know their strikers are misfire, misfiring I know Morata is like a 50-50 striker either he's immense either he's scoring like absolute bangers or missing absolute sitters there is no middle ground he's one extreme or the other Moreno, I don't think, is starting ahead of him because uh, in terms of work rate, Morata seems to be giving Enrique more. So Enrique seems to be persisting with uh, using uh, using Morata through most games and ultimately bringing on Moreno either as a sub or taking him off around the 60th or the 65th minute. But we'll keep that for later. What we'll do right now is we'll also talk about the second semi-final game, quarter-final game, which was... Italy versus Belgium. So I made an, a case for the Switzerland versus Spain game being Spain game for being super entertaining, but this was actually pure chaos for a good 70 odd minutes. So Italy take the lead, and I think they take the lead pretty early on. They take it with Bonji gets uh, gets wrongly uh, denied, and Belgium keeps standing off Insigne, like they keep inviting him to take his shot, but not before. I'm I'm not sure who scored the first goal for for Italy. Who was it? It was Barella. Barella, right? That, that was also a really nice passage of play for the goal. I think the pass was like, phenomenal. That he brought down and was able to take a shot with it. Uh, but also, I, I feel that goal is marred by Chiro Mobile's nonsense because Immobile. Yeah, that was the most. That was the highlight of that goal because no, suddenly Immobile was very mobile <laughs> right after the goal that scored. <laughs> Yeah. He, he gets he, up when he starts celebrating. Chino <laughs> yeah. became immobile and then mobile. Yeah, I mean you can't spell I am mobile or immobile. So <laughs> it's 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 like you know what? It was really it was it wasn't even funny. Like 
it was pathetic honestly like dude he's fell he saw he looked up ball was in the back of the net and he just jumped he caught up and he ran to celebrate like like var should yeah, be basically was taking him for a penalty shit. yeah exactly yeah. he was paying for a penalty like var i i know it like it's improving but i really think the refs who who are like the the video referee should indicate to the on field referee that card this guy for diving like unless they are able to root this out of the game it's very hard for to give legitimate penalties man like he was diving and as though somebody had shot him with a sniper rifle and then next second he's up and he's celebrating that's not even where it ended right like the italians as good as they are at football they are masters of shit housery because uh, they go two goals up and then they are rightly uh, given a pen against when when doku goes through on goal and he's taken out uh, lukaku converts and then through the second half at least for a brief period doku is running rings around the right back and he's just unable to uh, you know to get the ball in the back of the net or do something productive with it in the final third then cue the 75th 74th minute and then <laughs> there's there's a very interesting stat to play and i think tushar will take us through this uh, so which the athletic did a piece on as to just how often the ball was in play during those last 20 minutes thanks to some wonderful dark arts by the italian team yeah so actually in the last 21 minutes to 25 minutes the ball was in play was not in play for 12 minutes so basically almost almost half the amount of time the italians found a way to just go down or, or the goalkeeper would just catch the ball and hold on for 30 seconds uh, they were just completely shit housing to waste time and they managed to do it well without adding too much extra time yeah i think they they oh, instead of adding i think they five, added two they they made five they, seven they, minutes they added two more minutes nine, Yeah, so they yeah. made it 97 minutes, but they wasted 12 minutes plus. So, so think about it in in that sense. I expect that blueprint to come into play against Spain as well. So there's another thing in the Athletic where they show that Jan Vertonghen challenges the ball with Nicolo Barella. Okay, and then uh, Vertonghen reacts angrily and Barella drops to the floor, and he's holding his left leg when he should have been holding his right leg. and then he's pointing at the referee and he's in some unusual position basically he didn't even get the leg right and this is the kind of shit housing italy are pulling up i i feel we're not too far from a future where this has a tremendous impact on a particular game and it almost becomes a red card offense i feel it should be a red card offense those are the kind of decisions that swing games right and now with var being around you are able to like point out these issues and for people who are blatantly conning the ref and trying to get decisions yeah they sh- one person gets sent off this immediately stops like right then and there nobody is going to push it like this see yeah, yeah, bar yeah. is developing but dude you can uh, see uh, you can always go back and give a player a card right you can always do that the video referee can take a look at the incident the way he sat down the way he caught up the way he started running immediately and as soon as the ball goes out of play you tell the the on field referee that dude sent this guy off or give him a yellow card for diving or whatever like i really think dude it's just destroying the game honestly i mean who knows it could happen against united it could happen against chelsea in in like a league game and a very important league game it could i'm not saying it, i'm not being biased i'm just saying from a 
football from a neutral football fan point of view this has to be rooted from the game it's already it's it's been happening for quite a few years but it's just these guys are getting more and more reckless and they feel like nothing's going to happen so might as well do it like i yeah, remember it, 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 yeah i like it's so, it's good i mean how much of it is part of the game how much of it is not really part of the game especially when it comes to gamesmanship right that's kind of what we're we're talking about there's play acting and like exaggerating stone down the clock like mourinho wouldn't be here if his teams uh, if that was like if that was deemed a bookable offense because a lot of his teams have intended to slow down games shit house their way through like if you notice the game against liverpool and we spoke we were talking about this just before we started recording uh, the the game where gerard slips and infamously hands man city the title that mourinho slowed down that game to the tempo he wanted it to be played at and i don't think that's doable if more stricter laws come into play and i and i think there there's a middle ground there somewhere but i feel maybe in a couple of years the refs or at least refs across europe and possibly the world will start cracking down on shit like this but shit houseery is fine i am i am all for it like gamesmanship you have to do what you got to do to win i am i mean if if like the famous win quote from win gretzky if you're not cheating you're not trying right Mm. I, I I'm all for the dark arts where you know the keeper takes an extra ten seconds to kick a goal kick, or uh, the guy kicks the ball to Rose Zed when he knows there's no ball available nearby. All of that is fine, you know. I mean, even even if you've gone down for a legitimate injury and you're taking an extra thirty seconds more than you would have, all of that is fine. But diving, uh. diving and you know uh, pretending to be hurt when you know you are not i think that's why you sort of draw the line like in a tackle you're injured and your team is up you you can wait for an extra 30 seconds that's fine as part of the game you you everybody knows you're doing it but trying to do trying to pull these stunts where you're fouled on your left leg but you're holding your right leg or you're hit on your face and you're clutching your knees all of that nonsense i think should be rooted out of the game i wonder how you how you possibly going to figure out if somebody's feigning an injury or not like that's that's very gray area right that's something you you won't be able I, to like see i'm not saying like i said like see you're you can't with muscle injuries you can't realize if somebody's holding his hamstrings or his glutes or his uh, or his uh, whatever like even his shin or not shin sorry what your calf that you, that's a gray area you don't know if it's actually pulled or if he's faking it but if if somebody you know he gets tackled you know he's you can sort of you can sort of say if he's been hurt or not i mean even the referees there are not that stupid right like yeah if <laughs> somebody got from you can easily make up from the player's expressions also and how he's exactly. reacting to it yeah i mean you really think that neymar where he goes stumbling about exactly i was about before. to bring that up as well dude nobody tumbles 100 times when they're tackled like if you're if you're properly tackled and you're hurt you tumble once or twice and you're with so much mm. pain you just want to come to a standstill and like <laughs> assess where the hell it's paining pain not Correct. going down from halfway line to to the touch line rolling but i feel with neymar's case right particularly he gets a lot of stick for tumbling but 
he gets kicked, he gets the shit kicked out of him from time to time, dude. Dude, it's part of the game. It's part of parcel of the game. Yes, I understand. I sympathize with Neymar because he gets kicked all the fucking time. I mean, part of it is undeserved. Everybody knows why they're doing it, why they're fouling him because he tries to pull these stupid antics. But he's also that damn good. Like, when you're so good, sometimes by mistake, people foul you because they're just trying to get the ball from you. But because you're that skillful... You're just able to flick that ball just that half a second faster than he's caught his leg there. So, he does get fouled. I'm not saying no. But sometimes, even with Neymar for that matter, the, the player would have hit the top part of his shin or the bottom part of his shin and he'd be clutching the opposite side of that. Like, if he's hitting the ball, like, near his foot, he'd be clutching his shin and, like, sometimes it just doesn't make sense. Yes, it's a grey area, but it has to be stopped. Like, the Immobile one, you know for the fact that deserved a fucking yellow or TV. Yeah, I agree. I feel like I deserved a red, dude. <laughs> like, it's a straight off sentiment. I don't want to be that... Uh, like, even, see, you do get a booking for diving. So, I would I would classify this under the same uh, sort of category. Like, this is some sort of diving. Like, you're diving to get a pen. Yellow card, that's it. But, like, if you see the goal as well, right? He's also part of, like, he's somewhere there where, like, a player can't go and, and cover that area because he's lying down there and stuff like that. Like, that's also affecting the game at that point. So, I don't think that's fair. Yeah, so, that's what, so you have to weed it out somehow, right? Yeah, so but that's the thing, right? How do you, these are very grey area. Like, how do you compare? Or how do you judge the level or the intensity of who is hurt, who is faking, how much are they faking, all of that. Just wanted to add, um, when you were talking about Neymar and being fouled a lot, one player came to my mind was Grealish. He gets fouled every every second, but he doesn't fake a tumbling down the halfway pitch, half half the pitch, and, you know, uh, so so that that's what I'm talking about, sportsmanship. Like, if Grealish is getting fouled and he doesn't do all this, so I don't know if that's the correct uh, comparison because see Neymar accelerates really quickly and he's going really fast that's why even if he's pretending he's able to tumble because there is that much speed already generated by him uh, I think a more better comparison would be like a Hazard or someone who at, at least not in Madrid but in Chelsea used to constantly get tackled because the only way to catch him if he accelerates is to trip him and uh, I uh, he never pulled any of the same with Rashford as well. The same with Rashford yeah. as well. He gets fouled quite a bit in games. Like again, it's like you said, Dodge. It's because of the speed in which he's he's carrying the ball. Even a slight touch, yeah, sometimes you will go down, right? Yeah, you will, right? Like a slight touch will throw you off completely, and then there's no way for you to catch but, yourself. But you're not going to roll that far, also, Dodge. Come on, let's not kill yeah. ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> no, what, what I was trying to say, even to roll that far, you need to have some velocity in you, right? Uh, I don't think Grealish is that kind of a player. Uh, he doesn't accelerate as quick. Like these players do. Yeah, yeah I think we've I think we've been on this for a while. Yeah, we've been on yeah. this for a while. <laughs> for another day. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what we'll do is we'll uh, we'll quickly move on to the the last two quarterfinal games. So Denmark took on the Czech Republic and very quickly went tonal up. They looked a little shaky from set pieces, which I think England will look to exploit. 
but they managed to hold out see through the end Patrick Schick got another I think he pulled them back and now he's tied with Ronaldo for golden boot I don't quite see anyone catching either of them maybe maybe uh it is time because in the game that followed Raheem Sterling plays a beautiful pass in the fourth minute to set Kane up and we spoke about this on the last podcast we spoke about how the floodgates have now switched from dominant to open he bagged his second of the night in the early stages of the second half where he got on the end of a Luke Shaw cross just soon after Maguire had made it 2-0 and Kane went on to make it 3-0 there was a wonderful volley almost reminiscent of the Shearer goal against Everton which is my favorite premier league goal ever and he almost pulled it off if not for a great save by the keeper it was a little towards him as opposed to being either side of him i think with a little more height he would have possibly nestled in the top corner but you can tell kane is now in the mood yeah he certainly is i mean i mean if you go back and listen to the previous podcast i called it i said kane will score two assists you create two something much check to public and i said i'm still going to stick to that So but yeah, I mean that I, I wanted to come true so that we can get yeah, dinner but <laughs> yeah so that we but can now, get dinner exactly I'm, I'm on track to get my dinner <laughs> yeah they won't count it before Kane is coming so is See, something for him only uh, goals and my player are literally but but you know what you know what like one thing i i thought first of all big ups to uh, slabhead i think he he had a phenomenal game uh, he contributed with the goal of course i'm not I'm, i mean of course all four defenders had a really good game they had a really good tournament in fact the the english defense i just don't want to name those four but the entire english defense whoever is played whether you have reese james or or conor cody at at times you've had trippier at times how about shoberto carlos like you call him mm-hmm. or a uh, shaw flank redemption mm-hmm. oh. oh these are some nice Uh, that the, the, the Shaw flank redemption yeah. interesting so no. uh, what a what a game he's had what a tournament he's had I think generally yeah, uh, he's, I mean, he's by far the best currently yeah, but he's, he's the top I think he's definitely in the top three I would put him definitely in the top three of left backs in the world at the moment so this is a stat um, Luke Shaw has equaled David Beckham's record as the only Englishman to have Three assists or more in a tournament since Euro 2000. What? That's 20 years in the making. Oh, one mm-hmm. more stat for you. Mm-hmm. Harry Maguire is the first English defender to ever score in the quarterfinals of both the World Cup and the Euros. Yeah, he did it against Sweden, right? And then he did it against Ukraine. I think in the in the second half, as soon as the second goal went in, Sweden gave up. I saw Sweden, <laughs> Ukraine gave up. it was like and then by the time the fourth happened it was you know when you when you get a boxer and, and he's on his last legs his legs have turned to jelly and he's wobbly and they were just holding on for dear life it was a good uh, and props to southgate dude cuz after going four nil up he didn't let the mosty on the pitch there were several uh, people on there who had uh, who were in in danger of missing the final because they were on bookings so he, qu- he quickly made some smart substitutions took kane off to the dismay of some cuz those may some may have bet on him scoring a hat trick and uh, shaw came off he gave i like what southgate is doing is where he is distributing time across the squad some people haven't played and i think that's really bothers him he alluded to it in his uh, post match conference 
his whole idea of getting through the tournament and we'll see how things progress when it comes to Denmark in the semi-finals is maintaining squad harmony making sure everyone is happy everyone is on board with the idea and just ensuring that nobody that that the team doesn't concede because it's been five games now five games zero goals conceded insane stat for any tournament i i see that changing when we could have some sort no I, i see it changing when they play denmark i i i do because I, i have a feeling i actually think like like southgate's like a great tactical manager like i didn't rate him before especially especially world cup and stuff but this whole tournament he showed us he knows what he's doing like like this time he knew he had to like uh, stretch ukraine so he put in sancho and uh, sterling uh, so they basically vacated the middle and they were playing on the wings and they were stretching the defense and that's why ukraine couldn't keep up and he knew that if he put sancho on the right where ukraine would have come prepared to stop that grealish and shaw on the other side uh they weren't prepared for this side of things uh, like the, the ball coming in they'd have a clear advantage the other thing i also think is that he sets up for a team where you're not you're not 1-0 down you're you're not letting goals in and you you like eventually go 1-0 up the the challenge or or the thing to see is what happens if they go 1-0 down yeah cuz i think that's that's where he, like see like france they were playing shit football but everyone's like they'll go to the final england have been playing great football but people are still not confident because they're like what happens if they go 1-0 down then what happens to the team So, yeah, so, so that is still a little, little bit of a concern. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I think uh, I, I heard, heard this on the BBC podcast today. And it talks about teams that have conceded very little. And then it's that one game where it's flips, right? Like, take, take into account Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea situation. They'd conceded the fewest goals until they came up against West Brom. There was a red card and one goal, one game they conceded five. So how will this team, and like Tushar rightly said, how, we don't know how this team is going to react to having to pick the ball from the back of the net in either of the next games there are enough people in there especially given maguire shaw and uh, rashford who have been in united and have picked the ball out of the numerous times after having going gone behind to come back and win the game to have that experience to pull them back from you know like that's sort of situation but i'm not quite sure how the collective will react to it so that's going to be an interesting thing See, as much as we, I think what I admire about what Southgate's done is obviously I've been a big detractor of him for for quite a while now because I was not impressed with how he handled Croatia in the World Cup semi-final because you kind of beat the teams that were put in front of you. I don't think it was you. his fault. Come on. I don't think no, it I mean, was his fault. But yeah, go this, on. They, they surrendered possession to Croatia and then the Croats were like, oh, cool. We'll just do our thing. uh but now what what he does very well is it's almost like what floyd mayweather what floyd mayweather was so good at doing uh by which i mean defensively they are excellent for a good 60 to 70 minutes and then as the as the opponent tries to attack tries to land punch after punch uh they start to tire and open up and that's when he realizes he makes his changes grealish is great in games against low opposition but I don't expect him to start again Denmark on on Wednesday. I I'd much prefer if he came off the bench in the 60th and 70th minute where the game is tied it's 1-0 and the Danes are tiring 
because either you bring on a Sancho or a or a Grealish or even a Foden, the guys who make those inward runs, it's going to be really difficult for for a team to deal with that, especially given how many how many games these guys have played over the last year alone. So the feeling in in Denmark is one of a fa- of a fairy tale because nobody expected them to go this far into the tournament, and now there is a belief that they could actually win the whole thing. Uh, we've talked about the spine of that national squad, starting right from Schmeichel to Christensen, Westergaard. Uh, Christensen, I think it's played in midfield in, in scenarios where they need to uh, negate a team with stronger midfields who, who are able to pass through the lines. So I expect to see him play through there. You have da- uh, Damsgaard, I think, is the other guy who's been playing really well. Cornelius is another thing, another guy we, uh, we spoke about uh, in, the, in the last podcast. And up Even front, Hoiberg. yeah, Hoiberg will know all about Kane. Will know how to keep him quiet because after playing him, playing with him week in week out, it's going to be an interesting game. I don't expect Kane to have a good game. I expect him to attract all the attention from the defensive uh, four or five that Denmark play. But it's going to leave spaces open for the likes of Sterling, Sancho, Grealish, or even in some scenarios, Rashford. I think Rashford might end up playing this game for some reason. I, I think Saka plays. I think Saka plays. Yeah, actually, no, I take that back. I think Saka definitely plays. I think they switched to a back three I, for this game. Yeah, I think they play the same formation they played against uh, Germany. Hmm. Yeah, I think so too. Or probably the same yeah, team. I, I, yeah, maybe. So I think if they don't want wit, right, if they just want to keep it compact, I think Saka and Foden are both left-footed. And... Uh, and if they play on the right, then they tend to cut it because they're left-footed. Uh, if you if you play Sancho and he's right-footed, then he gives you more width. So depending on what Southgate's thinking there, whether he wants to stretch them out or keep it compact, he'll probably go with a four-three-three or a more more wide stance. Um, the the other thing I also feel with what Denmark has the advantage is that. A lot of those players play for the same teams. Like, all of them play for maybe mostly two or three teams in Denmark. Um, the thing with England, right? Like, everybody plays for one completely different team, one completely different formation. Like, Kane is, Kane is looking back to see where those passes are coming from. Son. Sterling is like, where is my Kevin De Bruyne? Uh, hmm. Mount is like... So, it is very different for them, right? So, and they have to learn to play together and they have to learn. But for Denmark and uh, if you see a lot of these Copa America teams also, um, they play together so much or, or even if you look at like in Europe, right? Spain used to usually be mostly Barcelona and, and Madrid. Germany used to be like Bayern Munich and uh, Dortmund. Bayern Munich. But England's never got that thing. So that that, that little glue which is not there can can be a detriment for, for England and can be a plus point for Denmark. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I have a sneaky feeling it, uh, we're going to see um, Denmark in the final. I just feel... I, I just feel there's a, there, there's a very strong chance they end there's, up going there's to... Up again. There's Abin again with his, jet, with, with his stupid reverse psychology. It's not even reverse psychology yeah, reverse bullshit. Psychology. It's not even because... Dude... For having backed England in international, tor- in interna- in international tournaments for years on end, every game you take with a pinch of salt. There's no, I am. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. No, but I'm saying realistically, can I, can I, can I say one thing? win that, right? 
Can I can I say one thing? I know. I mean, we're recording this on fifth July, twenty twenty one. I think this is my feeling, right? I know the golden England's already had this one golden generation that came and never won anything. I think the present team that there is, I think they're the golden generation. They're going to win England something for sure. If it's not Euros this year, they're winning World Cup next year. I I don't know gut feeling. And if it's not the World Cup next year, it'll be the next Euros because by then they'll all be 23, 24, 25-ish. All of them would have played two tournaments. And I feel, I think if they give uh, Gareth another four years, I think he's going to win something for sure because... Uh, see, right now you have Sancho's 21. You have Saka, who's what, 19? Or 18? Yeah, 19, 19. Think... 19. You have Grealish. You have Rashford, who's 21 or 22. You have, uh, you'll have Kane in his, in, in his 30s. You, you'll have Calvert-Lewin coming through. You'll have Watkins coming through. Who knows? There'll be other players coming through. And then you have Bellingham. You'll have Rice. You'll have... Uh, Maguire, you still have Stones, Walker, Pickford, who would have been part of two tournaments, maybe three tournaments. I think this is the generation that's going to win England because uh, that's going to win England something. I just have a, I don't, I mean, I know, I know the term golden generation is sometimes used loosely, but I think this is England's golden generation. I just think if these guys can just stick together and develop just a little bit more. Because you have all kinds of players. You have your ball ball playing midfielders with with Mount and and Rice and and then you have your the guys who can you know sort of play like the Neymar role where they sort of dribble with mm-hmm. Grealish and Rashford and Saka. You have your finesse and touch players like Foden. And then you have if you need Plan B, you have Calvert Lewin, you have Oli Watkins. Yeah, there's a real as you alluded. There's a real crop of players coming through. Yeah. Uh, but i don't know dude i just feel so, so what i like about this 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 euro specifically is right there's no pressure on one player it's not like kane is carrying the weight it's not like the youngsters mount uh, or foden have to perform that pressure is not there i think or maguire has to be the solid rock or declan rice has to i think collectively there's a there's a, there's a weight from the media from and expectations and everything it's not like a argentina type where messi does everything or portugal type which is great right like it's good to have collective responsibility instead of individual pressure and individual responsibility i don't know like so what we'll do now i think i think it's time now <coughs> we move on to making our semi final predictions so italy against spain who do you think is winning and why italy so i think spain main tactic is so enrique also he sets up very tactically well his teams so even if they play shit and all they, they somehow like go through those games but that one thing he can't do against italy and uh, their main thing is to keep possession but italy are also very good at keeping the possession or slowing the game down either they'll waste time or they'll do a foul tackle to stop the the play or break up play or So and Italy generally looking like the better team in terms of scoring more efficient on chances all of those things right mm-hmm. so so I think it'll Italy go through on this fixture yeah I mean I think uh, Italy is going to go through uh, defensively they've been really good uh, Donnarumma has I think conceded only two goals in the last 
30 games that he's started, if I'm yeah. not wrong. Yeah. And um, I think Spain will give them a challenge, but Italy will take it through, in my opinion. I think I'm going to go against the grain. Uh, I think Spain. I think Spain just just pips Italy. I know. I know Italy have been the better team, uh, the far better team of the two. And I think they. I. I, I last I checked, they are odds on favorites to win uh, on on the betting sites as well. But I just think uh, with their MVP for the tournament, Spinazzola injured. Yeah. Their attacking threat down the left is is sort of limited now and. Uh, I just think I just think Spain with their Luis Enrique type Tiki Taka will will sort of get through. Uh, though I really feel bad for Mancini because I would I would love to see him in the finals. But let's see. I think Spain goes through in the first game. You know what? I I kind of agree with you on this because uh, Spinazzola going out is a big big miss for them because not just is he good offensively but he covers the centre backs very well. And yeah. you can. And what see... about that defensive clearance in the end by Spinazzola, just before yeah, he got it, injured? It went off his ass. <laughs> I mean, still he was at the right place. <laughs> I was like, because I I don't know how it didn't go in because I, I I those there are three chances in the Belgium game. I was like, okay, that is a goal. When you just wait for the balls up in the air, you see the you see Lukaku rising and you see Thorgan Hazard running behind him, and you're like, yeah, fine. If he's not getting it, the guy behind is going to get it. And somehow, by some miracle, uh, maybe someone is throwing several hundred coins into a little fountain, the little fountain in in Rome, right? So just hoping to keep uh, any, just hoping to prolong the, the the European stay. I just feel now that with, I think you're starting to see a bit. You're starting to see that defense creak a little bit, and. They, it's not like Italy don't give up chances. They give up several really big yeah. chances. And they have, yeah. somehow they've been getting through. And I'm not saying England don't give up chances. Muller literally was on was one-on-one with the keeper and somehow missed it. Yeah, like I, I feel Spain have enough in the tank to cause them problems. And maybe there's a wonderful redemption story for Morata waiting, just waiting in the semifinals. Um, so I, I kind of expect Spain to go through. I'll ask you know what? I'm so sure of Spain going through. I put a bet on it. But what are, what are, what is the what are we betting for? I'm putting money on Spain getting to the final, dude. One six one six pack of Hogarden. Cool. Done. S- some Hogardens for my hoes. For oh, my hoes. <laughs> but no, I just uh, one one other thing about Spain. You know, the like they have. I feel like they have more to prove than Italy for some reason. I don't know why that that is, but like because they've been getting so much shit for not being a golden generation. Like you're the worst generation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they. It seems like they have to prove more than Italy does. So I just feel that that fire under their belly is is sort of going to get them through. Anyway, I let's see what happens it's tomorrow evening. So. Like, like Spain has a lot of armchair guys who won the World Cup and the Euros and that's like ah this team is shit <laughs> and rightfully so compared to them they are shit okay hmm. uh, I mean you're comparing but, the yeah. team that went Euro World Cup Euro so it's very harsh on them right it's the best team national yeah, team I've ever is, seen dude yeah exactly right no, I yeah. still feel the and, France team that won the World Cup is one of and and the Brazil team that won the World Cup I don't think the I think the if the Brazil team that won the World Cup goes against the Spain, Spanish side, 
they just thrashed them i don't see the Bra- the brazil side getting the ball oh please they had enough they had enough uh, skill on the, uh, skilled players who, skill uh, skill and flair is fine but when you have a team that is built on choking the opposition death by a thousand cuts right or a thousand passes that team was yeah. not going to get anywhere near the ball have you have but you seen that with... spain germany semi final yeah Where germany clearly have the talent but spain don't give them the ball if if you guys go back and watch the 2002 world cup final brazil didn't have the ball for very long they had about 45% of the position but with just two strikes of the ball ronaldo won them the world cup yeah, that was even like that wasn't even the best form of ronaldo right it was severely injured ronaldo exactly come, yeah but but I, isn't I, that like depending on moments of brilliance rather than exactly. tactically or yeah yeah in in a one off like, game uh, in a one off game you can okay i would still make an argument for the french team in 98 i still think they were one brilliant team just that i feel like i don't know that's a very different era era of football like those world cups everyone was winning 1-0 that's all like nil nil penalty we're just grinding out wins you look at yeah, euro 2012 right like you everyone talks about euro 2012 and spain grinding out one nil wins to the final they get to the final and they thump italy 4 nil <laughs> like let's be yeah <laughs> so fabrigas or, or someone no yeah, yeah. or torres someone torres and he also went and scored torres won golden boot because based on the frequency of yeah, all of those golden boot on how long he was on the pitch and most goals scored under like a certain time limit ended up um, uh, getting the golden boot that that year yeah i think fabregas goes on on the 80th minute and even he scores and yeah. it was like some weird party like yeah they, they tore apart the italian side anyway let's i agree that's probably one of the best hmm. semis So yeah, we England versus Denmark. Where is everyone on this? I think we know where you are on uh, this one. I where am I on this? Yeah, just like how you said Ukraine is the team that England will probably lose to. Yeah. Dude, you yeah. you know how bad England have been in tournaments. Like yeah. I've seen them collapse to Colombia, I've seen them collapse to, like Colombia dude, they had the game in the bag in the 94th minute they got the equalizer. it's possible you don't yeah but look at this england right they're not even yeah, trying to play football yeah, yeah they they just like do the sensible shit and get a win don't also, like no need individual player nothing also i, I think this game is at wembley yes. yeah yeah so uh, i mean here's i don't know if you guys know this but uh, england played denmark twice in the nations league last year and maguire yeah, got sent they off they got four points No, they drew. And, uh, Denmark uh, got four points. Yeah, so Denmark drew and beat in them in the two games. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So it's not like uh, this Danish team are a walkover. Uh, th- there was a guy on the on the on the BBC podcast who spoke about the best performance the Danish team had, and it was against Belgium. The first half against Belgium, they were amazing, and but they lost the game, so nobody really talks about it. Everyone talks about. Uh, how they've gotten through Wales and how they thumped Wales when they weren't really that good against Wales. Wales are a supremely limited team, and Denmark took advantage of it. But I expect that kind of first half to make an appearance in uh, the game on Wednesday, and I feel they're going to swarm the midfield and pressure the centre backs. 
Maguire, I think he's good at battling through the press. I don't think Stones is that guy. So they could uh, end up targeting him. Walker was notorious for giving the ball away. So expect them to put a lot of pressure on him. Even against Ukraine, he gave the ball away a bunch of times. Didn't communicate with Pickford enough. He and him at uh, at the third centre back position is going to be a liability that the Danish national side will uh, will target repeatedly. Uh, I feel they'll. I feel they have enough in their tank to smother the team and take them to pens. And once it goes to pens, it can swing either way. And we know with England usually where it swings. So I'm wary. I'm, I'm just like there is. There's a very strong narrative that is pushing the Danish side. Obviously, with the news of Christian Eriksen with how uh, the team rallied after that uh, just and and just the na- and, and you know i think uh, i think denmark have been in lockdown for a pretty long time right like almost uh, at least some scandinavian countries have been in strict lockdown for a very long time uh, and so for them coming out of that lockdown into this new world uh, is also like an, another part of the narrative that that is fueling them so don't write them off. I, I I feel there is an upset on the cards because right now everyone's like, oh, this finals at Wembley, the semi-finals at Wembley, 60,000 in Wembley. The English are going to go through. No, I don't think so. I said, I think the three of us vociferously disagree with what you just said. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think England are going to go through. Yeah. They've been, they've been really good this entire tournament. England are going to go through. Kane is going to score a brace. Yeah, I don't know about Kane scoring a brace, but uh, but I definitely wow, you don't want Kane to score a brace just for dinner, dude. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll paint you another picture, okay? England go through, so do Italy, okay? It's an Italy England final, only for uh, Italy to score in the last minute. So that Man City can give Manchester United fans PTSD all over again. Mm. Fuck you. We are not. We decided not to talk about it anymore. Shut the fuck up and sit down. <laughs> <laughs> now I can slap heated debate on on this podcast. <laughs> but the good news is um, there's at least one Chelsea player who's going to win the Champions League and the Euro in the same year. Uh, because, of course, like George. Italy has Georgino, Spain has Aspie, uh, Denmark has Christensen, and of course, England has Mount, uh, Reese James. Ben yeah, that's good, that's a good start to hear. Oh, that's a nice start. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be good for the Chelsea guys. So, so, okay, score predictions. Uh, I think it's going to be 1 0 Spain, 3 0 England. And we're going to have a Anglo-Spanish final. Hmm. Akshay? I think uh, 2-1 to Italy and uh, 2-0 to England. I think uh, if England play the way they are, uh, 2-0 England and uh, Italy, Spain, maybe 2-1 to Italy. Um, so I see Spain, Italy going two one to Spain, uh, and I see England, Denmark, either a nil nil or a one one, two penalties, and I think the Danes go through on pens. It's a semi final curse. It's like what United are famous for. You know, the English team are also uh, a semi final team. So just 
like a lot has gone well for england and i and i feel this is the bump in the road that's going to cause them problems because either either they lose now or they lose to lose in the final so uh, i i think we all agree that the team that the ones coming from the other half of the of the draw that's probably where the winner is it's either going to be spain or italy okay so uh, from that so we should we move go- on to the ma- manager merigora yeah let's let's quickly talk about the managers and what's happening there so rafa benitez got appointed everton manager and i think i i said on this podcast a few weeks ago if he goes to everton uh, liverpool fans will kill him or the everton fans will go after him some fans did they left a, a note outside his house saying we know where you live but largely it's been without any sort of like fanfare maybe the euros have played a part in it it's interesting yeah. because you know what ben- i feel about like benitez is like uh, he's a great like tinkerer manager so he's great for like rebuilding or restructures or or coming in for one one year he's the only manager who i feel like he a manager that goes on loan Huh. Really does like one or two, one or two years spells. No, but I think wherever he goes, he's he's loved, right? Except for Chelsea because they just hated him there, uh, given his time at Liverpool. But everywhere he's gone, I don't remember his time. But yeah, yeah, like every wherever he's gone, uh, he's been loved. Newcastle fans love him. Liverpool fans love him. Napoli fans love him. Madrid fans not so much, right? Because I don't think he was one for playing uh, the Madrid politics game, and so and he got hounded out. um but yeah i feel he works with clubs like these and i think everton made the right move because uh, I, i mean people have said he only made the move because his family lives in liverpool he is very attached to this city and i think his connections now with both clubs especially in the ro- in the long run could be he could just become a legendary city a legendary figure in the in the city uh, just by the, just by that alone uh, it, it's funny because with liverpool fans actually most of them don't have any bad luck with him joining everton and that that's one good thing i mean yeah so i think benitez seems to be the right appointment uh, another appointment that hasn't gone down so well is nuno espirito santo going to uh, spurs now this could effectively and a lot of people have and, and, and there have been reports that a few spurs players have handed in transfer requests like Kane Lamela the guys who want to move on but i feel this uh, this manager appointment ultimately sounds the death knell for harry kane's time at spurs i just feel given his situation with daniel levy and him having signed that six year contract on a gentleman's agreement that he could leave at any time uh, i just feel that after having gone to the euros and come back it's it's he's going to be uh, looking at options elsewhere and i think city or psg are either going to be two of his most preferred location so i actually feel like that appointment um if you had said he is the manager and that was the only thing you said i think he's actually a great appointment but he, you're saying it after trying to get conte and that whole list and then after scratching out like seven names you've come to him right i actually think he's a really good manager like he he got wolves to europe and he couldn't sustain because he lost his best players like he lost jota a bunch of his players were out for the season he's actually a really good manager uh, in terms of an appointment mm-hmm. and i am sure he'll bring some players with him he might bring like a terre or someone will follow him to to tottenham for sure and and that will be good like tactically and uh, and uh, this thing in in terms of how he positions and how he plays he, he is a good manager i think yeah see that's why i wanted to let dodge go first cuz i 
sort of agree with him 100%. I think he's a really good manager. Uh, very similar to Poch in the way that he's coming from a small club to Spurs. Uh, I mean, with all due respect to the Saints and Wolves, like, uh, uh, he's come to... Uh, Nuno has come to a bigger club. I think he is a really good manager. Uh, but will he have the players to do to do what Poch did with taking them to the Champions League? I don't think so, personally. Yeah, I'm I sorry, think he's Champions in the final. Yeah. I, I think I he's in the he's in the he's in this bracket of managers who are really good but haven't really managed a big club and Top have play. really yeah. uh, got the charge. So I think. Uh, it's time for him to prove himself, but will he have the players? Is that that's that's sort of the big question mark that's going to be hanging on top of his head. So until until the first game comes around where Manchester City, where they face Manchester City, I guess we won't know who the players are that he will be starting with. But I think a few players come with him to from Wolves. I think I think he could bring in Neves, maybe Moutinho. Traore is also one. Uh, who who could move? He probably scout a few Portuguese players, bring them along. But speaking of scouting Portuguese players, Wolves signed a Portuguese player a few days ago. I don't know if you all heard. Oh, and 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 the sky is blue and water is wet. <laughs> so, so the other thing I think about Tottenham is right. Do you remember that without Kane? They reached the Champions League final. Yeah, um, that is he true. was injured that is half the time. Yeah. Right. I think and, he was injured for quite Wolves, a bit of that Champions League campaign. Yeah, the whole thing it was all Lucas Mora and Sun and all these other guys. And he came in the final and he botched it because he wasn't ready. Like he wasn't fully fit. He wasn't fully ready. Um, no, no doubt. Like losing Kane is huge, right? Kane is a thirty goals a season striker minimum. Right, there's only like two, three other guys in the world, like like Lewandowski or I don't know uh, Haaland. That's it. Like there's yeah. no, yeah, there's nobody else, right? So that is going to leave a big hole, but it's also going to be like, okay, now everyone has to start scoring. So across the board, all the forwards have to start scoring, and that might actually be better because then you build a whole team, not build a team around the guy. Can I can I add one thing? I think this appointment could. Could potentially be really big for Delhi Ali. I just think so. I don't That's know if you all agree with that. Interesting, but like Delhi Ali is just a lazy guy. That's yeah. his biggest problem. Like he is his biggest enemy. Like he's a damn good creative player, and even in the Champions League campaign, he did a lot. And um, I think Christian Eriksen also was there at that time. But uh, those two guys were like. Killing it, um, but Delhi Ali, like he has moments of brilliance, and then he just shuts off suddenly. I I That's remember that one goal he scored against Palace, where he switched, turned, and then banged it yeah, in yeah. one motion. Delhi, I don't know. I I I don't see Delhi Ali working well in that system. I just don't. I feel he needs. He's going to need pacey wingers and wing backs. I feel Matt Doherty makes a bit of a comeback. So FPL enthusiasts. Slot him right back into your squads because oh, it's it's Doherty time right now. Uh, but I I feel all, I think Alderweireld has uh, recently said he wants to leave Spurs and the clubs are working 
on uh, getting him out of there. The guy, dude, Musa Sissoko. What is he still doing? <laughs> Sissoko. <laughs> He's a World Cup winner. Bro. Yeah. Put some respect to his name. <laughs> Come on, dude. He's been so shit. They've been trying to sell him for like forever. It just doesn't happen. And that's yeah. the first thing you need to get rid of. Like the dead wood. Okay, so for, I think for the interest of time, we'll revisit this uh, in when we're doing our Prem predictions, at least. Uh, I think that that's what we're going to use. That's the episode we'll use to kickstart the season. Uh, but How yeah, about the we'll, Viera to Palace? I, I just that's feel he's, he's, get, he's getting sacked in three months. <laughs> and, and, and it's no fault of Patrick Viera. I mean, he's a great player, whatnot. He's not the guy to have come in for, for the rebuild that the Palace team need. You, that Palace team is creaking. I think Van Hanholt is out of contract. And he's about to leave. Dude, they, he's going to make that team play attacking football. The team is not built for attacking football. The team was built by Roy Hodgson. And you just wait. They're going to be fighting relegation in uh, this season. Just wait and watch. Yeah, I think so too. I absolutely think like this is a relegation season. Sort of. If, if, yeah, if you have to make a bet on manager to get sacked, I'd go Viera first. I'd actually even say... Maybe we'll, we'll be talking about Rafa in Jan. Maybe. I don't think Rafa gets sacked. I don't think Rafa gets sacked. I think Rafa is, will study the ship and keep them going. He has enough quality in that side to like just get them get them yeah. a, a top half finish. Yes, James Rodriguez. Offend, newly offend James Rodriguez. <laughs> As Times of India put it, the name is Bond, James Rodriguez. <laughs> Which, made <laughs> <laughs> Which made no sense whatsoever. <laughs> But yeah, okay, we'll conclude the episode. Oh, oh side note, Jaden Sancho is now a United player. After two goddamn years, he has finally joined the squad. And then as soon as he got, his announcement got uh, was made public, he made the England squad. So I guess there was just a, a, a club situation, wasn't it? Yeah, maybe Southgate was like, come to England or I won't let you play for England. Like, come, come, come. <laughs> and he was like, okay, now you can play. <laughs> Okay, I think uh, anyone, unless anything, anyone has anything else to add that we conclude the episode uh, on that note? I, I think the BBC saying that Harry Oldmeyer, affectionately known as Slabhead, <laughs> scored a goal <laughs> is one of my favorite moments of TV. <laughs> it's just the best moment of TV in a long time that has made me laugh. Like it's bit out food and made me laugh. But yeah. <laughs> That's, that's he, a good way to end. He's actually time, so. he's actually acknowledged that name, believe it or not. Yeah. Well, everyone calls him Slabhead, yeah. right? Like everybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, why did he start it? <laughs> it's like it really is Slabhead FC. We'll see you on the next episode. Take care. <laughs>